Okay, well, we're, we're, this is our, um, our theme for today. It's a, it's a new message. I haven't preached it before. I think sometimes pastors at this time of year sort of preach old messages and old Advent messages, but it's, it's really what um, most pastors and preachers would call a heart message because it's something that God's been teaching me and something that God has just put on my heart just a few weeks ago, really, probably three or four weeks ago, and uh, I just felt that um, it'd be good to share this today. We'd have a bit of a problem with it because we didn't know how to spell recentering. And um, you're probably looking at it thinking, that's not the right spelling. It is. Trust me, it is. Uh, we're not Americans. Uh, we're English. Uh, well, some of us are Americans. Um, but um, this is the right spelling of it in any case. So our theme this morning is, is recentering uh, our lives in Christ. In 1914, not long after the sinking of the Titanic, there was another uh, nautical uh, tragedy. And in thick uh, fog off the uh, Virginia coast, the steamship Monroe was rammed by the merchant vessel Nantucket, funny name, and eventually sank. 41 people uh, lost their lives that, uh, that night um, in the freezing cold waters of the Atlantic. And Osmin Berry, the captain of Nantucket, faced the charges. And the New York Times reported at the, at the very time that during the trial, cap the captain of the Monroe, the other ship, Edward Johnson, was cross-examined for over five hours. And during this cross-examination, this is the captain who wasn't blamed for it, they discovered that Johnson was navigating with a steering compass that deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. He claimed the instrument was sufficiently true to navigate with and that it wasn't uncommon for uh, seamen and, and captains to use a compass that was around about two degrees out of sync. And that faulty compass um, seemed adequate to him for the navigation, but it eventually, of course, proved otherwise. And the New York Times later published a picture of the two captains after the court case, it was a congressional case actually, um, after the hearing, clasping their hands together, sobbing on each other's shoulders at what had happened. And the New York Times said, the sobs of these two burly seamen are a moving reminder of the tragic consequences of misorientation. Now here's the thing, the human heart just like Captain Johnson's um, compass, has the propensity to, to sort of drift off course and lose its direction. And of course, this can lead to consequences in our lives. And there are times when all our lives need uh, recalibrating, if you like, and putting back on the right tra trajectory. And uh, we need to be redirected back to our creator, to, if you like, magnetic north. So our focus is in the right place on God himself. And if we were just to read through your Bible, I'm sure you can think of many cases where, where God's people, some of them uh, giants of the faith, have just lost their way. They've lost that sense of magnetic north and, and, and focusing on, on God and, and just recentering lives, lives central in Christ. And we think of people like Moses and, and Samson and Saul and Elijah. Think of King David incredible warrior, incredible king, but, but just lost his way. You think of Peter. We think of some of the letters to the early churches, the Galatians, the Corinthians, that lost their way. Even pastors lose their way. Pastors lose their way. And I want to be honest with you this morning and, and say to you that there have been a couple of times this, this year where, where I've lost my way. 
being transparent with you, where I've lost my way, where, where I've become so busy that my prayer life has got knocked out of the way. Because every morning I'm waking up and thinking, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. You know, when I was a boy, I used to think that pastors used to just sit with old ladies and, all day and eat, and eat cake and drink tea. If only it was like that, it would be great. But there's so much today. I think sometimes, I think I was chatting with the elders of the day and saying, I think Jesus had it easy. I mean, he didn't have health and safety and safeguarding and finance and all this kind of thing. You know, he, he had it easy, didn't he? No, he didn't have it easy, of course. Um, and they corrected me on that, I must say, the elders did. Um, that's what they're there for. Um, but I lost my way a little bit. This has happened a couple of times this year. And, and the result of that is that, that I become stressed and I become frustrated I become a little bit angry and I start to take it out on others. I become negative. Julia will tell you I become like a bear with a sore head and become overwhelmed by what's going on around, around me and just not easy to live with. Julia will say to me every now and then, have you had a quiet time lately? I mean, wives can be so condemnatory, can't they? They'll just be so horrible to you. You know, your lowest point, they're reminding you, maybe you need to have a bit of time with God. And so just a few weeks ago, and this last happened and it caused this sort of sermon to come out this morning, um, I wrote this down on my, on my actual my list of jobs, and we'll put it up on screen. I wrote it in my journal as well. I need to get my life centered in Christ again. I've lost my way. And if pastors can do it, if it can happen to me, these great holy men of God, it can happen to you too. And so this morning is really about, you know, recentering our lives in Christ and maybe your your life is great right now maybe you're just well maybe you should be pastor maybe you're just you're just there and you're where you need to be if that's the case watch out for the people who are struggling today when we're having food the people whose chins are on the floor who may be just struggling with overwhelmed with everything that's going on in life and maybe they've lost their their focus on Jesus or maybe these tools will help you um, for that moment when maybe you do become overwhelmed by everything that's going on around you. So, so, what, so what tools does the enemy, enemy use to move us away from Christ? That's the first thing I thought of sort of sharing with you this morning because, um, let's face it, the devil does not want us to live our lives centred on Jesus. He does not want that to happen. Why would he? You know, he will use every trick of the trade to stop us from having our lives centred in Christ. He wants us to lose our way and he wants us to get to the point where we say, you know, this, this Christian life, what is this Christian life all about? This, this malarkey, what, what is going on here? It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And maybe this morning you're saying, well, this Christian life doesn't work. It's just not working for me. In the new year, on the 21st of January, we're starting a new series called This Works. The Christian life works. And we're going to examine different ways in which Christian life works for us. Remind ourselves of some of the ways in which uh, Christianity works for us. Our faith will work for us. So watch out for that in our, um, in our home groups. And on a Sunday, there's no book. There's not going to be any book to buy this time. Some of you will be pleased about that. Uh, but we will be providing some study notes of our own. All the preachers will be, by the way, those you are going to be preaching through some of that uh, series. So what tools um, does the enemy use? Busyness is the first one. It's the obvious one, isn't it? It's the one that I got caught up with. We take on too much. We try and do too much. We try and fit too much in. And, you know, 
we live in a generation where we think we can do everything and be everything and, and just have everything and it just leads to stress and, and exhaustion and anxiety. And um, you know, there was a book written years ago, wasn't there, if you're too busy to pray or somebody said, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. And I got to that point in my life where I just realized that I was too busy to pray and I lost that magnetic north uh, place. So we've been saying it all year, haven't we? Remember the wellbeing series months ago now about creating margin, about reviewing our lives, about looking at what we're doing and making sure that we're not too busy. So the enemy, if you do anything, he'll make us busy. We're so busy that we lose sight of Jesus Christ. The second thing is a misplaced focus. You know, that our focus, rather than being on Jesus Christ, I'm going to share how you can do that in a few moments, but rather than being on him, but that it's on everything else or someone else or something else, perhaps even to the point of obsession with something or someone or something in the past or maybe an ongoing situation that's going on right now, an issue right now, or a memory or, or a regret or, or something in the past that you feel guilty about or ashamed of or a disappointment or something someone said. And take our focus off Jesus Christ and the enemy will use it regularly to trip us up. I mean, I wonder if there's anybody, anybody here being stitched up, anybody being betrayed this morning, or abused, or rejected, or hurt, or let down. Anybody still holding a grudge? Take your focus off Jesus. You must deal with it before him. Don't allow the enemy to spoil your life by that stuff, by that misplaced focus. There's a verse, I think it's David who says in Psalm 66, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. And if we cherish this stuff in our heart, if we allow it to stay there, the ultimate thing is that it will just spoil our relationship with Jesus. We'll take our focus off him and he wants it to be on him. And worse still, you know, our focus will, will take us away from being the person God's called and purposed us to be. Just spoil our lives and spoil it for everyone around us. And so the third thing as well is, is tied in with this is unforgiveness, which we mention in church regularly. Unforgiveness. Sometimes I think we've, we, we say we've forgiven people, but have we really? And if they're constantly in our mind, we're constantly thinking about them, I would say maybe you need to go back to Jesus with it. And say, I, I forgive. I forgive that person. I'm not going to hold a grudge. Help me to stop thinking about them. Ephesians 4, 32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So there's, there's busyness. There's a misplaced focus. There's unforgiveness. And there are modern-day idols. You know, the Bible talks about these idols, doesn't it? And, and Israel harangued about it by the, by the Old Testament prophets about these. I mean, it's unbelievable when you think about it that they could carve for themselves images in wood or, or, or in copper or steel or whatever it was, or metal, and they could worship something like that when they had the king of heaven to worship, and yet they uh, did. And we say we, we don't. We don't really have idols today, but I think we do, and we're going to put on screen one of my footballing idols uh, who, who, actually, who actually met a few years ago on a train. I spent an hour with him on a train. I was at a, um, a regional meeting. I, when we were in Newcastle, um, I was on the regional team for Elim in the, in the northeast and uh, went down for a meeting in, um, in 
York, was it? No, Rotherham, somewhere like somewhere down on on the East Coast line. And um, uh, I got back on the train to go to go home, and uh, I was actually I was actually travelling first class. Um, and one of the things I've done over the years is, if first class is dead cheap, about the price of a cup of tea or a bacon roll or whatever, I'll travel first class. And on that particular day, I think I got first class for a fiver. And I thought, well, I, well, you know, because you get free coffee and everything and sandwiches in there. So I went in there. So I'm, I'm in the first class cabin, and I sit on on this side of the aisle, the right hand side, and it was pretty empty in there. And uh, I looked across, and there's Paul Gascoigne, and uh, he starts chatting to me because Gazza's like that. And so I moved over and started chatting to him, and the train got held up at North Allerton for about 40 minutes. I don't know what had gone on. So we were on this train for a long while um, together, and he was telling me all kinds of footballing stories about Newcastle and everything. And uh, we just had a great, great chat. And of course, I was a football chaplain, so I'm used to talking to, to footballers, and no problem with that at all. And he was pouring his heart out. No wonder he gets in trouble all the time. He was just telling me all kinds of stuff, to the point where, in the end, I said to him, Paul, I just want you to know I'm a minister. And what you're telling me is not going to go any further further um, but, it, but it was interesting He'd just been in court with a court case and uh, I won't say publicly what he said about that but that was quite fascinating and um, and then we get to Newcastle and, and we, we turn up in we're getting towards Newcastle and I said to Paul you know what are you what are you going to do are you are you, um, you going to get a taxi or something he said oh yeah I'm just going to I'm going to walk out of the station and get a taxi and I said are you not getting a Uber and he says to me what's Uber what's Uber so I said to him have you not heard of it no so um, so he, I said to him Give me your phone, I'll download it for you. And I downloaded Uber for Paul Gascoigne on his phone, showed him how to use it. So there was a taxi waiting for him when he got out of the station. And the amusing thing about the whole situation was when we got off the train and we were on a platform quite a way away from the main part of the station, walked over a couple of bridges, as you're doing, because I'm walking across a, with my mate Paul Gascoigne. Everyone's saying hello to him. How are you doing, Paul? Because he's an absolute legend um, in Newcastle. And he's obviously one of my uh, footballing idols. But you know, a modern-day idol is anything that we put before God. I wonder if there's anything in your life that you put before God. I know there was a period of my life before I went into ministry where my career had become my idol. I was obsessed with my career. I wanted to be the best I could be. I was working all the hours that God sends just to um, achieve you know, promotion after promotion after promotion. And God had to speak to me about that. But for you, it could be money. It could be a home. It could be a person. It could be a parent, a child, a sport, or a hobby. Let's not forget what the Bible says, that the first commandment is that we should have no other gods before him. And you see, if we have an idol, we're going to lose that focus on Jesus Christ. And maybe today is that day to recalibrate, to get that true north, that magnetic north again in our lives. Or maybe even the idol, maybe the, maybe the person that's pushing you off center is you. Perhaps you've become the center of your universe. You ever met people like that, where they're just the center of their own universe? And it's so easy to become self-centered. Joel Osteen said this, and I'm not a great fan of Joel Osteen, but I agree with him on this. When you center life around yourself, not only do you miss out on God's best, but you rob other people of the joy and blessings that God wants to give them through you. Are you centering your life around you? Have you become the idol in your own life. And then the next one is this, feeling defeated and ashamed over sin or addiction. The Bible says this, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's easy to allow those things, to allow the enemy to, to push those things into our minds so we lose that sense of Jesus 
being the center, or it could be your past. It could be your past. I've met Christians over the years who, who just can't get over their past. They feel so ashamed, they feel so, so guilty. They say to me, if you knew my story and what I've done, you know, how could God ever forgive me? How, ever, how could God have a relationship? How could I know him? And Psalm 103, I think we can put it up on there, is a well-known psalm. It says this, that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as, far, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. You know, the enemy will whisper to you, you're not worthy, you're a disgrace, you're not fit to be a Christian, but God wants to say back to you loud and clear, you know, I love you, you're accepted, you belong to me. The past is dealt with. It's been dealt with a long time ago on the cross of Jesus Christ. And then the final one is this, it's just being, feeling overwhelmed by everything you face. I think I've been there a couple of times this year where there's so much going on, so much to do, so much to face and, and deal with and people and, and all kinds of stuff that we can just become completely overwhelmed. And it's not hard at this time of year, is it, to feel overwhelmed by everything? I mean, there's so many mince pies to eat. It's unbelievable. Um, but it can be a combination of lots of things. And, you know, here's my go-to verse when I'm feeling overwhelmed. And it might help somebody this morning, so I just dropped it in here. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I, cry out, I will cry out to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you've been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever, for I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Psalm 61 use it we just this is the thing you see recalibrating isn't it what does it say it says when i when i feel when my heart is overwhelmed lead me to the rock that's higher than i jesus recalibrating going back to you when the heart is overwhelmed so many promises in that verse so many so just the place to go isn't it you're a shelter you're a strong tower i trust in you so much truth packed into those those four verses there and some of you are living like that right now I'm sure there are people in this room, you just feel completely overwhelmed by life. Never mind Christmas, just life, the circumstances of life, what's been kicking off, all the things coming at the same moment. I've been there. We've been there, haven't we? Everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Just, just, it's just a buildup of everything, feeling completely overwhelmed. Well, maybe this morning it's, it's time to, to recenter. We're going to help you to do that, to recalibrate your heart, to get that uh, fresh perspective. So let's move on quickly. Four ways in which we can do that. Number one, it's obvious we place him at the center. <coughs> Jesus be the center. We chose that song on purpose just to, to drop those, those words into your heart and into your spirit. And maybe you remember them later on today or tomorrow or whatever, that we place him at the center. And here's the question, as we place him at the center, has he actually ever been the center of it all before? Have you ever had Jesus Christ as the center of it all? Or has he been a figure around the, the periphery of your life where you in, invite him into the important moments or the crises or the emergencies uh, or your marriage or your, the dedication of a child or, or whatever it is? Maybe today it's time... To to make him center of it all. Jesus be the center 
of it all. So we place him at the center. And here's the thing, starting the day with him is critical. You know, over the years, I've said to people, you know, do what works right for you. You know, whatever the rhythm is for you, whether it's late at night or whatever. I want to say to you this morning, we've got to start our days with Jesus Christ. How on earth can we continue the day if, if, if we've not started the day with him? Make it a habit. Center your life on him. First thing, somehow take a moment to do it. Do it before you do anything else, before you check Facebook or your emails or whatever it is. It might mean you have to get up before the kids to do it. You know, you look at, you look at Julia and I, we've got no kids of, of, of that age. I used to have to get up really early before the kids got up, just to have a few moments with Jesus to center my life on him. Um, so start the day with him. Create a new rhythm um, that works. Um, I think you need to go down a couple. Yeah. Create a new rhythm that works for you. Listen, only you can do this. I can't do it for you. I wish I could, but I can't do it for you. You've got to motivate yourself. You've got to get out of bed or whatever it is or create this new rhythm. You've got to do it uh, for yourself. Um, create a new rhythm. And then here's a little tip. And um, I want to thank Beth and Chris for this because they got me into Lectio 365. How many of you are using this app? A few of you. See, four or five. This is amazing. I've been using it now for about three weeks and uh, and absolutely love it. Julia started using it as well. And um, maybe we can put it up on screen so you can see it, so you know what color app you're looking for if you try and search for it. Um, but it takes about 10 minutes, I would say, to do it. Uh, there's, a, there's a pause to be still at the beginning. There's a moment to rejoice with, a, with a two or three verses from a, a psalm. And uh, there's, there's a moment to ask for God's help and to yield his will in your life. And the, there's some quite outward-looking prayers in it, but it takes about 10 minutes. Often they repeat the scripture and just encourage you to just, just meditate on it a moment and God to speak to you through the scripture. We're going to be encouraging you as we head into uh, next, next year to, to download this app and start it afresh. But you can start it uh, right now and just get into it. And here's the thing, to lead from a posture of prayer in God's presence, to to start your day in that place with him, just for a few moments to spend it with him. So this is the first thing, really. We're making him our magnetic north. We're making him first in everything. Starting the day with him, putting him first in everything. And you know what happens as we do that? And I had to do this just a few weeks ago to just say, I'm going to make you center again, Jesus, in my life. I'm too busy with everything. I need to get my life back in order. When we do that, we become at peace. We see clearly again. We reprioritize what's important. We let the other stuff go. It's really good. Number two, we let go and we let God. One of the things out of this Lectio, just the last, I think it was last week or the week before, was um, they used the story of Hannah in the Old Testament. You know the story of Samuel, 1 Samuel 1, where um, Samuel's born and then he sort of goes and lives in the, in the um, temple with Eli, um, with the priest Eli. And, um, but Hannah's never really focused on very much. Um, I've never heard anybody preach about Hannah. And uh, Hannah was the second of Elkanah's wives. Uh, polygamy was quite common back then. And um, his other wife had, had given birth to several children. And she made Hannah's life a misery, constantly taunting her because she hadn't had children. And uh, in the end, her heart became overwhelmed with bitterness and, and anguish and grief. And we can see the passage here, just a few verses from this passage. And it, it says this, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, 
Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And keep going. As she kept praying, uh, kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, that's the priest, observed her mouth. Anna was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Amazing. She had this really low-key encounter with God. She pours out her soul. Do you notice in the passage it talks about her pouring out her soul to God? She receives no vision, no grand revelation, and no immediate miracle occurs. Yet this simple act of coming before God and laying it all out before him, expressing her pain, asking for his help, greatly improves her state of mind. And you can see that her demeanor changes, doesn't it? The face was no longer downcast. And the rest is history. Samuel was born and given to God. And this passage reminds us that God doesn't want us to bottle up our emotions. He wants us to come to him. To not pretend that when everything's okay when it's not. And to encounter him by just being honest, by expressing our feelings, by pouring out our hearts to him, whether, however raw or messy our lives are at that point. And so that's what I do. If I'm in a good place, I praise God. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. But if I'm struggling, I pour my heart out to God. And I want to encourage you today as part of this recalibrating, refocusing, maybe you need to make an appointment with God and just pour your heart out to him with all that stuff that's overwhelming you right now. David says in Psalm uh, 62, I love this psalm, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Maybe it's time for you to make an appointment with him and just tell him where it's at, to let go of the situation that you're in, to let go and, and lay it before God. And then the second thing I want to just say about this, because we saw an amazing miracle in Newcastle, is there are times when we just have to lay it out before God. And um, I don't remember the story in 2 Kings 19 where Jerusalem has been threatened by the Assyrians and Sennacherib has, has come and the Assyrians have just made laid waste of everything in their path. They've just destroyed cities and peoples and everything and they're threatening Jerusalem and Sennacherib, the, the king of Assyria, writes this letter um, to the king of Judah, Hezekiah, and, um, and basically threatens him and says, look, do you think you're going to stand against us? Look at everyone else. They've all been slaughtered. You haven't got a chance, mate. And Hezekiah went to the temple and laid it out before the Lord. We can put it up on screen. Yeah, it's there on screen. And he, and he basically says, you know, he spreads out this letter and he says, Lord, deliver us. Lord, deliver us. And, and we see this amazing miracle happen, this amazing result. We put the next uh, screen up. Um, 
keep going. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp because he laid out this letter before God and prayed, God, deliver me. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He legged it by the sound of things. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. And listen to this. One day while he was worshipping in the temple of his God, his sons killed him with a sword and they escaped to the land of Arat. And his sons succeeded him as king because he laid it out before the Lord. When we were in Newcastle, we bought this dream center, this massive building, 33,000 square foot building. And you may not be aware of this, when there's a change of use to a church, the council lose all those rates. And our rates were about 40,000 pounds a year. And uh, the council would not have it, that we weren't, we weren't to pay rates anymore. I don't know how many rooms we had on the four floors of that center, but basically we had to, we had to uh, map out every room. We had to have drawings for every, for every, every um, floor. We had to say what we were doing in every single room of that center. And still the council wouldn't believe that there wasn't any aspect of that building that we should pay rates on. They sent people to visit. They sent us threatening letters. And in the end, we got to the point, I can't remember what it was, but I think I, it, it, it was in the tens of thousands of pounds that we owed them. And they sent us a final threatening letter. And I said to the church, we're going to do what Hezekiah did. We're going to have a prayer meeting. We're going to pray and fast that day. We're going to have a prayer meeting. We are literally going to lay this letter down before God, this threatening letter, and pray for God to deliver us. You know what he did? He delivered us. And it was all cleared completely. Amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Now, listen, if you've had a parking ticket <laughs> or a speeding fine, it may not work. But there may be something in your world right now where you need to lay it down before the Lord. And don't be afraid to take it and lay it out. Maybe you're overwhelmed by it. Lay it out before God and say, God, will you deliver me from this? God, will you make a way through this situation that I'm going through? Okay, number three, need to be quick. Be content with your circumstances. It's another way of keeping your focus in the right place by being content. And Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know where he wrote that? Anybody know where he wrote that letter? He was in prison. He was in prison expecting to be executed, anticipating that that would happen. And he says these remarkable words. I've learned to be content. Whether I have a lot or I have little, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Incidentally, we quote that verse all the time, don't we? I can do all things through through him who gives me strength. It's actually the context he's talking about being content. Now, scripture elsewhere tells us we can do all things in Christ Jesus. So it's not, it's not actually wrong to, to claim that. But in this context, it's talking about being content. You can be content. You know, sometimes we, we need to give ourselves a slap, don't we? Because we have so much to be content about. So much to be grateful for. And our discontentment can lead us to, to not focus on Jesus Christ. 
because we're discontent about something, one thing, when we have so much to be content with. We need to remind ourselves sometimes, don't we, how much we actually have. It's good exercise just to get before God sometimes when we're feeling a bit overwhelmed and feeling a bit down about stuff and just say, and just list all the things we could be grateful for. Number four, and this is the last point, we need to stay connected to his body, the church. You know, one of the enemy's ploys is to make us believe that we can be solitary Christians, that we don't need to be together. It's an old favorite of his. Why do I say it's an old favorite of his? Because look, this was written 2,000 years ago. You know, let us consider how we, spur may, we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's an old favorite of his. D.L. Moody, the famous American preacher, uh, visited a prominent Chicago citizen when the man said, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside it. That's a common thought today. There are lots of Christians in our, in our world today never go near a church, and they say exactly the same thing. Moody said nothing. Instead, he moved to the fireplace, blazing against the winter outside, removed one burning coal and placed it on the hearth. The two men sat together and watched the ember die out. I see, the other man said. We see we soon die out. We soon die. The fire soon goes out if we stay away from God's people for too long. We need each other. That is the fact of the matter. We need to be together. We need the encouragement, the support, the love, the, the care, the challenge that we give each other. We need each other to grow and to develop and become everything that God has called us to be. And maybe you're losing your focus or you've lost your focus. Maybe you need to recalibrate. Maybe an aspect of that is to spend more time with God's people. There are people listening to this at home right now. You need to attend church a little bit more often rather than listening to the podcast, I want to say to you. We need to be together or the fire will go out. So how do we recenter our lives in Christ? Number one, we place Christ at the very center. We do it. We make that choice. Number two, we let go and we let God. We, we allow God into all those circumstances where we're feeling overwhelmed and anxious and stressed and all that kind of stuff. Number three, we learn to be content with our circumstances, to be content. And number four, we stay connected to his body, the church. So this is where it all started. I said to God, I need to get my life centered in, in Jesus again. I've lost my way. I've lost my way. And uh, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment, which I want you to join in with. I've written a prayer. I'm an author, by the way. Um, so I've, I've sort of prayerfully written this prayer, and we'll try and make it available on Facebook um, this week. Um, you know, if you're on Facebook, um, you know, join our BCC family, and we'll, we'll put it on there. And... Uh, I'll try and do that on Monday or Tuesday. Um, shall, shall we stand together? Shall we get the band back? And um, this is just a, a life-centering prayer, and let's leave it on the recording as well. Don't stop the recording, because people might want to uh, use this at home um, themselves. Okay. 
So let's pray for a moment. Let's just really focus in on him. I mean, this is such a busy time of year. It's a wonderful time of year, but it's a, a crazy time of year. Maybe this is just appropriate for, for so many of us today, just to recenter our lives on Jesus Christ again. So here's the prayer, and I'm just going to pray it on your behalf. You don't, I don't want you to pray it after me. Let, let me just pray this on your behalf, and you can just join in, in in the quietness of your heart. You can say amen occasionally if you want to, but here is the prayer, the recentering prayer. Father, my God and my King, forgive me that I get caught up in so much stuff. My life can be crazy busy with important projects, family life, and just stuff. I can so easily become overwhelmed. I choose today to recenter my life upon you. I bring my whole self to you, the good, the bad, and the messy. Meet with me as you did with Hannah, filling me with a sense of your love and your peace. I choose to let go of my misplaced focus. I choose to forgive those whom I need to forgive. I choose to have no other gods before you. Please forgive me for allowing modern day idols to take your place in the center of my life. I choose to make you the center of my world and not me. I choose to lay down everything that is troubling me and weighing me down. I choose to walk in victory rather than defeat in my life. I choose to walk in freedom rather than bondage. I choose to let go and let God. I want you to be at the center of my life, leading, guiding, and directing my every step. I choose, choose to trust you again with all my heart and lean into your understanding and not my own, for you know best. Help me to have your priorities and not my own, because you said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Help me to get a fresh perspective on everything. Help me to focus on what's important to you and cast aside everything else. Help me to keep my eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of my faith. Help me to have God thoughts today. Help me to stay close to you today. Help me to keep in touch. And may I be aware of your abiding presence every moment of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.